Hello, and welcome to the Two Real Cinema Club. I'm James Zika. And I'm Andres Lorente. And on the Two Real Cinema Club, we watch a couple of movies, one new one and one older one, and we try to make some connections between the two while we talk about the films and cinema in general. And this week we are watching the 2022 brand new release of RRR uh, from India. And going back and matching that with 1939's Gunga Dean, uh, featuring uh, yeah. Cary Grant and uh, Douglas Fairbanks and uh, big film in that year. And that year, I believe, Jimmy, was a big film year that's Gone with the Wind and maybe Wizard of Oz and something else. Ooh. That's like, I did read that Gunga Dean didn't get any Oscar noms. And, and the reason for this was because 1939 was such an incredibly strong yeah, year. Yeah, big year for film. So... Um, Gunga Din was up against some big competition, and today we're putting it up against RRR. Combined. <laughs> massive competition. Oh, God. Five Enormous. hours. Five hours of films between the two of them. <laughs> They've done most of it in the last uh, 72 hours or something like that. Maybe four days, but I had to break it up a little bit. A binge. Um, and, of course, reminders to um, all of our friends on... Uh, on the internets out there, we are on Twitter at Two Real Cinema Club at twitter.com, Instagram at Two Real Cinema Club at instagram.com. We are blogging at Two Real Cinema Club.com, and you can email us at Two Real Cinema Club at gmail.com. Um, and Tell your lazy friends they can find us on Apple, YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Listen Notes, Stitcher, something called Podcast Addict. We might not want your friends to hang out there very much. Uh, <laughs> Deezer, Player FM, TuneIn, Podbean, and uh, of course you can find us if you just put Two Real Cinema Clubs somewhere. I noticed that all of our handles are kind of Two Real Cinema Clubs, so we're pretty consistent that way. You can find you can find, you can find us. us. You'd have to be very lazy or completely uninterested in us, which is understandable um, not to find us. Um, <laughs> all right, shall we strike out into uh, let's, the land of let's? Uh, so the, the first film is ah. Oh, I want to I, I want to ask you before yeah. we even talk about it at all. How are you pronouncing that? Is it are you just Arr, is it R R R or is it because because there was a competition apparently to try and figure out what the what the three letters might stand oh, for really? before they released the movie. Oh. And so I think they ended up coming up with, I think for the like the, the English language or the, the Hindi version, it's something like Roar, Rise, Revolt. You got it. Yeah, I wrote it down as Rise, right, okay. Roar, Roar, Revolt. Oh boy, it's hard. Right, okay. Anyway, it's a it's a difficult name to pronounce. I I say R-R-R. <laughs> there was a, my trills are not that good. And then, yeah, I was happy to see that there was some meaning to it. It comes about. Someone said that the, or someone had written that the title comes in about 40 minutes into the film. I don't know if that's true. It, it does come it in does. late. It does. It's 40 minutes before the credits. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so at some point, about right around that time, I think, is when the title fully appears and they put out Rise, Roar, and Revolt. It could be Rising, <laughs> Roaring, and Revolting, but that's a different title, isn't it? <laughs> it's even longer. Yeah. Uh, and yes, the three-minute trailer I thought was more than enough in many ways, and I think I was thinking to myself, boy, of course it's a three-hour film. There's a lot that happens in the three minutes. <laughs> uh, it's a $72 million film, and it now has grossed more than all but one other Indian film, I guess, worldwide. Uh, director is S.S. Raja Muli, um, who we'll talk about a bunch, I'm sure. Um, and then writers were... Um, Raja Muli was one of the writers, so and then... Uh, Vijayendra Prasad yep. is his co-writer. Now, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not familiar with this guy's work at all, at all. Apparently, he's like the, the biggest um, Telugu Indian filmmaker. Yeah. Um, I've never seen any of his movies. I'm coming at this from the point of view of a complete okay. Yeah. Um, in fact, the only thing I had heard was that the reason that the, the movie was called RR was because the initials of the two stars and the director are all R. Um, so they are three oh. big box office drawers. And so when they were three of them were making a picture together... I think this is this is like the you know, the Indian cinema or the Telugu Indian cinema version of getting George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, and Harrison Ford all to all to kind of make the same film together. Yeah, and, and we know how that turned out. Yes. Um, so there's a lot of excitement about getting these three guys all with their names beginning with R. Yeah, it does. Um, it is big. It's a big production. You get that sense immediately. Um, I mean, even, even from like the like the um, like the film company titles. Like the sort of CGI yeah. animations that tell you, 
you know, like like we're used to in the West seeing kind of Regency or Lightstorm or whatever. They have these kind of you know, enormous, yeah. extremely elaborate little CGI logos um, for each of the companies. It starts massive and gets bigger, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. And I mean, there are probably five minutes or more of opening credits. And a lot of that is just all <laughs> the different production companies involved and where the money's coming from. So uh, $72 million is obviously a lot of money, but they raised it seemingly nickel and dime at a time by all those credits. But um, yeah, yeah. Came off. There's a very funny disclaimer at the beginning that none of this is true. They say that in the film. <laughs> <laughs> they have to make that clear. Uh, very little of it is actually possible. So, of course, uh, I knew that very little of it was true. <laughs> yes, that's what they should have said. Not that very little of this is true, but very little of this is possible. Exactly. I think, now, I think the two main characters share names with genuine historical people. Yes. But I don't think the film is making any attempt to tell their actual story no. or to pretend that it's a, you know, like a bio Precisely. about real events that really happen. And I read that online, that they perhaps... They they may have lived concurrently, but they, there's no evidence that they knew each other or certainly worked together. Um, so it's it's so if, yeah. Go ahead. I was just I was just going to say for people who haven't seen the film and haven't seen the massive trailer, what's it about? It's about uh, it's about making an epic. I think it's like intentionally <laughs> creating something epic. The kids say that a lot now. It was epic. It was. This epic. is actually epic. Yeah. Um, it's broken into some sections early on, but unless I just fell asleep, you'll tell me I, if I missed later sections. There was one that said the story, I think that's the, right. and then the fire, and right. then the water. And then after, right. and yeah. it seems like they're going to be, I, these all happened within probably the first 30 or 40 minutes. So I thought, okay, over three hours, I'm going to see like 10 or 12 sections, but I didn't see another one after the water. No. So it was like ticking off the three R's, wasn't it? I guess so. Yeah. So what were the three R's again? What did it say? Revolt, <laughs> rise, <laughs> war, and revolt. Oh boy! Um, so it's pre-independence India. Um, this is definitely an like action thriller epic, um, and uh, I think it's kind of a dual protagonist film. We have two characters. One goes by Akhtar or Bream, or at times they call him the Shepherd, and right. then you've got Raju, who's a police officer who also sometimes goes by Ram, especially when we get into his backstory as a kid. Right. And I got to say, I got a little confused, and I'll, I'll confess a little later on where I got crazily confused, but um, <laughs> the names um, made it that uh, much more difficult to follow. It wasn't terribly. There's not a, there's not a whole lot of story to follow, in my opinion. So uh, it didn't make it hard to follow the um, the story and the plot. It did kind of make it a little bit difficult for me at times to follow who they were talking about when there was dialogue. But um, uh-huh. uh, it also starts out... Uh, with the kind of with the inciting in, incident, there's this English power couple um, who are a woman, and then the sergeant is named, or, or the officer is named Scott. Her husband. It's Scott Buxton, Scott Buxton isn't yeah. it? Which is which is which is incidentally the most popular brand of bottled water in the UK. Oh, is right? Buxton. Yeah, so you, you can't visit Britain and you know and go into a shop without uh-huh. seeing Buxton written all over the place. Yeah, so I think I mean obviously that that colonialism is all over this film. Uh, they're obviously in positions yeah. of power, and they're having this moment where this young girl is, named Molly is singing to them. And it looks like they're going to give her a little bit of money for the song, but what um, the misunderstanding is that the English couple is actually buying the child. Um, and they take her away um, against her will, and certainly against the will of this village where they'd been visiting and, and where she was singing. And then Buxton says, uh, it's a waste of a bullet to kill the mother of this child. You don't want to waste this all the energy and, and shipping costs and materials that went into this one bullet. You don't shoot um, a poor Indian one, w- woman with it. You save it for something more important. And this is kind of the one um, setup and payoff that we come back to a couple of times throughout the film. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the, uh, the inciting incident and Akhtar is, I guess her older brother, Mali's older brother, the little girl's little brother. Uh, and he's sort of made it his mission to uh, get her back, um, through the sort of metaphorical language of he's the shepherd. He's going to search for the lamb. He's also going to kick a lot of ass during <laughs> the, 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 the search for her in order to get her back to the flock. Um, we, Follow his story, but we're also taken immediately into uh, Raju's story. He's sort of an officer, um, sort of protecting colonial rule. Um, and he is going to um, sort of protect officers like Buxton. He's actually not stationed directly under Buxton at first, um, but he will protect them against uh, the uprisings of some of the um, Indians who 
sort of are, are against uh, colonial rule. And there's this amazing sequence early on where he he battles thousands in this <laughs> thousands. this well choreographed. I mean, I, I, it's not my kind of scene, but it's amazing because he's just fighting. He's getting pummeled. He's surrounded by literally thousands of uh, Indian men who just want to kill him. And he manages to fight them all back off. He gets this one uh, person who's thrown something over the fence that... Uh, He's protecting, and he brings him into British custody, and uh, he's celebrated after that. It's a, it's an amazing bit of just kick-ass choreography. <laughs> I, I, it, and it's in Gunga Dean, you almost see something like it, but yeah, ooh, with the effects and the hours gone into the choreography, it's just it's it's mesmerizing. I actually, I mean, I enjoyed watching it. I thought it was kind of ridiculous. I mean, a lot of this film is ridiculous, but um, it was impressive to see that happen. I, th- I think as character set up, it completely does its job, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, you, you learn so much about this character. And I don't believe he says a single word, I think. I no. I get the feeling there is not a single word exchanged no, he, between him and anybody else yeah. in, the, in the in that scene. And yet you learn, you know, everything you need to know for the rest of the movie yeah. about him. Yep. Yeah. Where all these and, other... And the main thing that you learn is that, you know, he is, he is you know, Iron Man or, yeah. you know, he's the Hulk or whatever. He's just unstoppable. Incredible. Yeah. Uh, but as a reward... He's going to kind of go after and try and try and go after the the shepherd and try and find out uh, who this person is and bring him to justice because uh, the rebels are sort of causing um, all sorts of problems for the British um, who are uh, these rebels who are trying to you know, I guess fend off these uh, people who are trying to get revenge for stealing away the little girl Molly. Um, there's another fantastic scene. It's kind of the Act One curtain save the cat moment when there's this boy in a river. Akhtar's there, and uh, Raju is also there. Um, the boy in the river is sort of just uh, at, at risk of sort of dying. The fires on river, train cars that are crossing this bridge are falling into the water. Um, and there's this one moment where Raju, who's now sort of tasked with, he wants to become a special officer, and if he finds the shepherd and brings him in to justice, he'll become a special officer. officer. Um, and he communicates this outrageously detailed plan with Akhtar, who they don't, they don't know one another, <laughs> but using gestures and some fantastic yeah, sign language that involves a motorcycle, a horse, uh, a conveniently located and very long chain, and a flag. <laughs> the two men are able to sort of swing at one another under the bridge, toss the boy and the flag between them, exchanging them, and save the boy, and their arms are connected, and it's... Uh, it's just this bromance that begins right there. That's their meet cute. Yeah, it is, isn't um, it? Saving this boy, and then they um, immediately fall in love with another. They become great friends, even though unbeknownst to them, they are sort of enemies because Raju's a British officer, and uh, he's looking for the shepherd. And Akhtar, or Bream, as he is also known, doesn't know that. And I guess Raju at that time doesn't know who Bream is either, who Akhtar is, that he's the shepherd. It's almost like a sort of Shakespearean level of setup, yeah. isn't it? It's like, yeah, they're, they're like kind of, yeah, some star-crossed bromance yeah. lovers. And, the, and, you know, and each doesn't realize that the other is the enemy. I mean, it's, yeah, it's it's like a sort of perfect setup. I must say, I, I also absolutely love that bridge rescue sequence. And I, I am pretty sure there are a hundred easier, less dangerous ways to rescue a boy from a river than the option that they chose. But it's, uh, it, you know, it is magnificently over the top yeah, yeah. It's, and, you know, and again it's showing these guys are such you know such astonishing um superheroes yeah it's outlandish it's a lot um and the stakes are high so um uh should we call him bream or akhtar or the shepherd what do you think you know what i've so i've i've written uh beam and ram all the way through oh, beam and ram. okay okay but but we we could let's now let's switch it around though let we we'll, we'll randomly vary them okay. in the spirit of the original filmmakers <laughs> to help our listeners. Uh, so Beam has to find his sister Molly, who's in British uh, custody. She's been kidnapped, and uh, Ram Waraju needs to find Bream uh, um, and bring him to justice. So there's a um, this wonderful little uh, uh, thing where they don't really know who, who who the other one is, but they're in love with each other. Just sure on bromance that we see montages of them riding horses and trains and motorcycles and burning tires together. It's just, uh, it's love at first sight. Um, and it really, it feels like, like, like from this point in the film, you know, well, they must be kind of like, you know, best friends for years and years. And yet also probably only about 72 hours pass. Yeah. I think. Oh yeah. It's like, it's, it's just like, it's instant. It's, 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 you know, again, again, that feels somehow kind of Shakespearean, doesn't yes, it? Yes, absolutely. 
Um, Akhtar sort of meets this English woman, Jenny, who actually um, is sort of harboring uh, Mali. She's with her family. Um, there's a big dance scene. It's kind of an un- unbelievable. It's not a very convincing romance between Jenny and, and uh, Akhtar because they can they can barely speak. I mean, he doesn't speak uh, her language or English, and then he, uh, she doesn't speak uh, his. So it's just a mess. Um, but she invites him to a dance, and at the dance party, this is where it got into Baz Lorman territory for me. Uh, Akhtar's not very well uh, received there, neither is Raju, really. Um, it seems like they're mostly followed, uh, surrounded by um, British colonialists there. It's just on this beautiful um, grounds and all that. Um, but they, this happens in Indian films. I'm not used to it, but they, they just burst out dancing and singing. Um, they have like an Edwardian dance There's a dance off, yeah, yeah. Just massive, yeah. And ultimately, uh, like they sort of together, uh, Raju and Bream, defeat all of the British guys, including the sort of the, the love love interest competition for Jenny. Um, and then at the end, Raju shows his love, but he sort of throws the, he throws the competition to Akhtar, who wins. Um, and uh, uh, Jenny falls in love with him even more at that point. Um, it's interesting that like having a dance sequence is, you know, like a you know, really common requirement yeah. for Indian cinema. But in, in this case, this is the only dance sequence of the film, isn't it? Apart from the end credits. Yeah, end credits yeah. And it is. Now, is this the right word? Diegetic. That, that, that you know, the music for the dance um, it is part of the like the scene. Yes. That there is actually a real band there and there is like, somebody actually playing drums. And we're supposed to believe that this dance scene happens for real rather than it being like a metaphorical break away from the story yeah i think that's probably so that's it's actually this is kind of like a you know, a step towards realism i think for the genre for, for, yeah, yeah okay. I, I love i love the dance scene these i i gotta say to so the, the 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 two actors um rama rao jr and ram charan um they have amazing figures haven't they yeah <laughs> i don't want to get to too bromancy but kind of fantastic dancers yeah um and you know and they've uh they've just um Really kind of fantastic magnetic presences on screen. Fantastic. Really enjoy watching them. Yeah, the dancing... Right, continue. The, well, the continue. dancing, at times, it, it's hard to believe because it is so kind of... Uh, it's good. It's very, very good. But it's also just so kind of quick that I can't believe they're moving that well. Um, <laughs> uh, but um, it ends up also sort of being this big set piece where um, uh, a sort of a, a, the conflict comes between them. There's a, a fire and water imagery again. Um, and uh, Bream bursts in. He's trying to sort of rescue. I think this is a later set piece or the after party. I don't remember exactly what happened there. Do you remember that exactly? There, there was the dance off, and then Bream has to come back later with. He's got a plan formulated to risk to uh, rescue Molly. Yeah. So, so like the dance off is him sussing yeah, out the palace. Yeah, that's it. It's his sort of reconnaissance and, um, mission. Yeah. And then and then they they come back afterwards. Yeah, at night time. At night time, a different party. And. This yeah. is one of the things that sort of bothers me is a lot of things happen just because the filmmakers wanted them to happen. But there were lions and cheetahs and wolves and lots of wild animals <laughs> running around, too. And there was no setup for that at all. At one point, there is this tiger thing going on. And I think someone's feeding a tiger. But there were no elk in the setup. And all of a sudden, there's an elk there, too. And it's just – it was wild. But um, it ends up being that Raju is able to capture Akhtar when he's trying to rescue Mali. Again, another epic battle. So these guys love each other, but they also beat the crap out of each other again and again, especially in this scene. And it ends up with Raju holding on to Akhtar, who's swinging by his by one arm and using the other arm to punch Raju repeatedly in the face. Um, and this is sort of the end of it's kind of an act two curtain for me where their arms are joined together and they turn into fire and water. So the fire and water yeah. um, thing comes back. Uh, this is a super long movie, so I'm going to go into an Act 2B. I think that little freeze frame where their hands turn into fire and water, yeah. I'm pretty sure for the theatrical release, that's the intermission. So I, I, I bet then, you know, the movie stops and you go and, you know, you go and phone your parents yes. and buy, a, you know, buy some food. Yes. And have a chat and have a cigarette and then come back for the second half. I'm pretty sure that must be how And it I worked. had read that for the American release, they eliminated that. They eliminated something else too, uh, but they eliminated the intermission. So that's like your classic... Uh, interval moment or intermission moment. Um, and it, it, it makes sense in hindsight. I learned that after the fact because the next part of the film is this major detour. It's actually sort of the the, the Ram or Raju backstory. Yeah. Um, and it helps us to understand that, yes, he's working for the British now, 
Um, but his village was kind of wiped out by um, the British earlier, and his father had taught him sort of how to shoot. And uh, it's the legend of Ramagan. Not only could he kick ass, you know, as an adult saw officer, but when he was a kid, he was an awfully good shot, and almost single-handedly he kind of uh, repels the entire uh, British contingent that was coming on their village. Um, so his hatred of the Brits is kind of solidified then, and we sort of start to see, oh yeah, he's this undercover dude trying to yeah, uh, be yeah. part of the resistance. Playing the long yeah, game. Yeah. Um, so it shows it shows us a lot of things that we already know about him, how awesome he already was. Um, but this gives some backstory and also sort of to backstory to his love interest from the village who's going to come up later. Um, so he's actually working for the rebels on the inside or, or you know, he's definitely um, sympathetic to um, some of the rebellious causes. Um, but with Bream, he has to publicly flog him. This is a pretty sadistic scene in the film mm. where he is just whipping his, uh, his bromance partner there. Um, and... The, care, the 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 Brits are pretty. They're treated pretty uh, roughly in this film. It's they're just character caricatures of just bloodthirsty uh, colonizers. And uh, so Scott's wife is saying, "I want more blood," um, again and again. So it gets to be this increasingly gory torture scene. Um, but there's a song again. Want- there's another song during the torture scene. <laughs> Not only does the wife want more blood, but she's like she's. Brought her own custom-made right. oh, whip, God, yeah. which she produces. <laughs> that was awesome! Oh my God, she's had this thing specially commissioned, and she's just been keeping it in her pocket yeah. in case such an occasion would yes. arise. And it's sort of got tines in it, right? It's a, uh, it's if, yeah, it's, yeah, absolutely. It looks like it could rip flesh right off the bone. So it's a, uh, yeah, it's like it's like a prop from the Evil Dead or something, isn't yeah. it? It's um, really, so so vicious. really blood bloodthirsty. I think. Um, so uh, he has to beat him. This is his great buddy um, who he beats up. Um, so he doesn't kneel, isn't it? This is yeah, yeah, he never kneels. He's so supposed to kneel and apologize. He never does that. So then they want to execute him, I guess. And, and that's when Ram gets his, his letter saying that um, his long game is about to pay that's off. Right. Because his, yeah, his big plan is to be the guy looking after a consignment of rifles right. so that he can distribute him to his, to, them to his guys. And tonight's the night when it's going to happen. His promotion comes through, yeah. So he's got access to all these rifles. He's going to be able to arm the people against the, uh, the overlords, against the, British. the British. Yeah. Um, there's this sort of late surprise where um, <laughs> they each kind of get to save each other at their... Uh, their respective execution <laughs> moments, I yeah, guess. Yeah, absolutely. Ooh. Yeah, this is, there's a lot that happens in this film. Um, they don't let logic or reason sort of hold them back. Um, Akhtar end, ends up, uh, because Raju doesn't, Raju actually tries to save Akhtar and succeeds, um, but then Scott is able to capture Raju. So now Raju is up for like an execution, and Akhtar now has a chance to save Raju, or yeah, Bream saving Ram. It's the same thing. Um and uh, see the see the 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 uh, the the girlfriend love interest of Ram back from the village. She's able to deliver the news of this execution um, via a letter that comes to her, um, and that's kind of oof. That was kind of a ridiculous setup and payoff. That she knew it. She was actually saved Akhtar at one point or helped to hide him. Um, she's able to tell him, "Oh my God, they're gonna um, they're gonna kill Raju, and Raju is actually on your side." So he finally. Bream finally finds out, oh, my brother is my brother. He's not the guy who was trying to flog me to death. Um, he's actually trying to help me. Um, so Jenny actually uh, comes through here. So that connection is paid off by uh, Jenny's able to get um, Akhtar into the barracks. He still doesn't speak much English. Uh, they still can't communicate. But boy, uh, she gets him into this barracks where Raju's been. She's got a map. Yeah. She's got blueprints. She's, she's yeah. got the, it's a proper Mission Impossible type heist yeah, scene. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it? Here are the blueprints. Uh, meanwhile, Raju has been put into this awful um, uh, solitary confinement under Earth with like a grill top for oxygen. He's bricked in. And this is, oh boy, this scene where Akhtar starts knocking on the Earth and mm. a certain rhythm, something like that. And then. Uh, Raju can hear him and he starts knocking back and they're using this echolocation of sorts to uh, uh, find one another. It's completely over the top um, and eventually they get closer and closer and Akhtar is able to uh, to, to free Raju um, and they sort of like fire comes back in. They're totally intently setting wildfire to, to fight back the, the Brits, which now that we're seeing lots of wildfire, it's a little insensitive, I think. But all the same, it's cool in a movie. 
Um, so now that... there's, there's two great things I love about this scene, yeah. which is one is that um, that Beam has turned up to the to the encampment to the prison um, for like a nighttime stealth mission, and he's wearing white trousers. <laughs> like, that's a real that's a wardrobe mistake, isn't it? But but it does lead to what must be cinema's greatest ever piggyback ride. Oh yes, that's right. Yeah. The sequence that follows is just mind blowing. Yes, and I think do they get right into some fighting with the. Uh... The Brits. And is that the scene? I've been waiting for this for most of my life, that someone actually uses a motorcycle as a weapon, which Bream at one point does. He uses a motorcycle. Yes, to, yeah. Um, swings it around his head and throws it at it's, somebody. Just It's awesome. pretty amazing. Um, and we'll talk about death and murder in this film, perhaps, after I get through the, the synopsis here, um, because there's a lot of both. Um, the resolution, Scott ends up getting killed with a bullet. Um, yeah. It wasn't worth an Indian's life, but it sure as hell is worth taking out a Brit with. So they get <laughs> even with him there. Um, the Indian rebels sort of come off pretty savage and brutal too. So we'll talk about that. Um, but it breaks into this crazy bit of uh, uh, patriotic nationalist propaganda at the end. There's this big song yeah. about raising the flag and they, they mention water, land, and jungle. Um, yeah. And this, at one point, the director comes out and dances mm. and sings during end credits as well. Uh, that's S.S. Rajamuli again. Um, so I just try to think of myself, or think of, um, I was trying to imagine Steven Spielberg coming out in the climax of West Side Story to sing Somewhere <laughs> There's a Place for Us um, with the actors. And just, it's, it's, it was, there's so many interesting cultural differences here that I'm probably going to want to talk about. Um, but that, I mean, it's almost like Spielberg coming out at, at the end of the film and singing a kid rock song while yeah, wearing a, could, a MAGA hat. Isn't <laughs> that's it? true. Well, yeah. Cause it is, yeah, it's very patriotic. It's a, uh, it uh, floored me. I was really, uh, I was really caught uh, unawares by that last moment. And then I was trying to figure out who is that other dude. And then oh. I finally just looked up SS Rajamuli and he, Oh boy. Yeah. See, yeah. just, just by comparing pictures from the internet and the film it took me a few minutes of research to do that. But, uh, who is that guy? Oh, he made the film. <laughs> and in India, you can come out and dance with your stars at the end of the film. Um, so that's a very, I mean, as long as that was, that's a nutshell version of this film. Everything yeah. and anything can happen at any time. And um, why don't you, I'll take a little break here and you uh, throw in some thoughts and then we'll come back and well, talk more. I tell you what, I mean, I, you can probably guess from my responses so far, I thought this was absolute dynamite. I uh, I was grinning from ear to ear. I loved this film. I thought it was terrific. But it took me an, an hour before I started to figure out how to enjoy yeah. it. So for about the first hour, I was I was, um, was inwardly glancing at my reflection and saying, oh, what am I watching? What what just happened? Where do they get these actors? What's that? What the hell is going yeah. on? Um, and it was only after about an hour that suddenly I clicked into um the right way that I should be enjoying the film. And I think it's a question of, of idiom that I watched the first hour through the eyes of you know, a Western cinematic idiom. Yeah. Um, whereas actually, um, if you can adjust your vision and view this through an Indian cinematic idiom, yeah. suddenly the whole thing makes so much more sense. Um, it's, you know, it's a very Indian film and the things which are important to Indian cinema are done beautifully here. And the things which are not so important to Indian cinema are, you know, are left at the wayside. So the, uh, things like a lot of the, a lot of the British actors, you know, I'm sorry to say, no disrespect, not that good. Um, a lot of the, a lot of the British, the English dialogue is, you know, very strange. It took me a while to realize, ah, it's because they're not really speaking English, English. It's not even period English. They are speaking idi Indian idiomatic English. And these English actors have been told how to speak their lines in such a way that it's um, idiomatically correct for an Indian audience. I think um, you know, the reason that this film can joyously give us a superhero story with people leaping three stories in the air, people punching tigers, um, and you know Ram at the end, he basically becomes like you know the Indian god of of hunting. Does I mean just mm. uh, you know, it's amazing transformation. It's very um, it's sort of fantastical. It's very unrealistic, and that's fine because that's what these films are like, and that's what it's about. That's the that's the the key that you should enjoy it in. Um, I was kind of thinking I'd been watching the first hour as it was as if I'd gone to a Rolling Stones concert, um, and I was saying, well, I, I can't even hear the violins. No one's brought a cello. 
where's the conductor? Mm. This is rubbish. Um, and whereas actually, you know, once I finally realized, oh, this is the Rolling Stones, I need to listen to the guitar. Um, then I started really enjoying it. I've had a thought about this this afternoon, which is I think the reason that these two um, cinematic styles are so different is because of um, the origins of storytelling in, in Western and Indian culture. I think a lot of storytelling uh, in Western culture, in British culture, kind of has its roots in the Bible, which uh, which people were and probably still are um you know, told many of the stories of um, when they're children. These kind of Bible stories, you know, influence a lot of the the the, uh, the kind of the ingredients and the the building blocks of the stories that we use um, and think about today. Whereas I think Indian cinematic storytelling could trace its roots back to something like the Mahabharata, which is far more fantastical. When you know, in the Bible, I remember as a boy being, um, you know, a bit nonplus that. Jesus was going around doing miracles like turning water into wine. It seemed a bit, you know, it's a bit underwhelming, isn't it? Uh, whereas in the Mahabharata, people transform into animals and uh, people preserve their modesty with an endless dress. And, you know, people resolve debates or, or arguments with uh, you know, a competition for firing an arrow at the ceiling. And it's, it's all kind of, it's, they're almost like um, Greek myths or Roman mm. myths. Uh, quite exciting and fantastical and, and full of all sorts of um, otherworldly elements. And I think that basis for cultural storytelling is what leads to a cinematic culture which has the same sort of flavour. I think if you can watch it as an Indian film, you can have a blast. And I think as an Indian film, it's astonishingly well made. I think like the, the mise-en-scene, so beautiful. The fire versus the water, the, um, the, 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 sheer, the sheer number of bodies on screen. Mm. The number of bods, the number of extras. So I'm sure I've been pumped up with CGI, but it's still, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of people on screen. It's so enormous. It's so massive. Um, and, you know, and you're never waiting more than 15 minutes for some sort of outrageous action set piece. Um, so, you know, for all those reasons, I thought it was just a blast. I got to the end of that and I thought, I want all my films to be like this. This is great. Yes, epic. For sure. Intentionally epic, as I said at the outset. Um, yeah, I, I, I didn't like it nearly as much. I, I, I can't speak about it so enthusiastically, but you've reached a, a, the perfect point, is that you need to see it through, through a certain lens. And I don't know how well this is going to do on, it's on Netflix, I think. I don't know how well it does um, with the American audience in particular. Um, yeah. But yeah, if you see it as just a sort of a, a classic Indian film, I guess, and an epic... Um, I think, yeah, it works. It's definitely entertaining. I mean, I, I can't say that I was unentertained. Um, <laughs> uh, and, 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 you know, I, there's obviously this sort of anti-colonialist message there, which is pretty, it's pretty rough on the British. I definitely sense that. And you're right, the, I mean, you know, they're not, they're not getting great British actors to do it. I don't think they really want great British performances. It's not that kind of film. Um, so they, they're just very roughly drawn caricatures and uh, they serve their purpose. They're the antagonists, and there's no question about that. I mean, th we do have the writer at the beginning of the film saying this is not actually based on any historic events. Yeah. And I have absolutely no doubt whatsoever that the British were at least as evil as the characters in this film, yeah. but they were probably evil in a slightly more sophisticated way. Um, we will, you know, probably, uh, we'll, we'll kind of talk another time about the legacy of colonialism oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and how that has been... Uh, reflected or not reflected in cinema um there wasn't very much good about the british empire no we did a lot of terrible things yeah. and i say we in the very most loosely connected way it's not like i or anybody else i know feel strongly connected to the people in this film i don't think there's anybody who who is you're know, watching a film like this and saying well you know my father ran a palace in the raj and he did great work and i'm proud of all those men that he flogged but um it's it's um our ancestors, or you know, the, the the people who lived in the country where I live a long time before I lived here, um, you did some very questionable things, yeah. and I don't think it's right to forget any any more than it's right to start, you know, asking. Well, maybe the Holocaust didn't really happen. It's no, no, no. The, the, the um, bad things happen when we forget history. So um, we absolutely need to remember. And uh, I think maybe this film um, is is not necessarily over the top in its portrayal of the bad behaviour of the. British Empire. It just does it in a, you know, in an Indian cinematic literate yeah. way. 
and in cinematic shorthand too. I mean, it's very, yeah, yeah. they're not wasting any time to try to develop character arcs for the British or anything like that. They're just presenting them um, as they are viewed as, as colonizers. I know we like to talk about writing. I, I just because a couple of a uh, couple of um, little things in in this. That, um, I think the writing is not the star in this movie, no. but it, it does set up some very clear protagonists with very clear motivations. Yeah. And at no point are you asking yourself um, why is he doing this, unless the film wants you to ask yourself why is he doing this, because the film knows that it will reveal the truth later. Um, there was you know, no point really when I was confused. Um, I think you know it tells its story you know economically and very effectively. And one moment I really loved actually was when um, about a third of the way through the film, uh, Ram is looking for Bean, um, and his lead um, is that he remembers there were flecks of colour on the fingertips of the man who um, you know, who he's looking for. And it's the first time I've ever just seen a block of colour used as a plot point. Um, and somehow that feels you know, it's very Indian. The colours in this film are fantastic. Yeah. And for them to use colour as a plot point, um, you know, seemed like you know, a witty, very pleasing little, tiny little sort of plot moment. Yeah. I enjoyed yeah. it. Um, I, I, it stirred up memories about 30 years old for me because I used to live above this uh, Indian convenience store in Montreal. And it was run by the sweetest woman and her husband. Um and every time I walked in there to buy samosas and just kind of eat them there, they're so delicious. Um, they would have these ultra-violent, really glossy Indian action films on a television in the store. Um, and it this immediately took me back into Indian cinema in a way that I hadn't really been in years and years. But uh, the cultural differences are really profound. I mean, they had no problems like shooting innocent children in this film or showing the body counts yeah. pile up. There are impalings there are um bits of dislocating of knees and shoulders constantly i mean there yeah. is just this running running trail of violence um both from the yeah the indian fighters as well as the as the british fighters and it's it's just an intense amount of violence and then you know they'll break out into song in the middle of it or <laughs> or the the love scenes are also you know kind of equally broad stroked it's you know okay love interest bam uh, we're not going to go into too much detail we're not going to develop the relationship very much but these two people are in love so um there's just no fear of uh, of like showing violence for what it is or or even maybe showing how superficial love is too um <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're right. I don't think this this film is not a victory for the gun control no, lobby, is God, it? No. Because the uh, you know one of the protagonists, his you know his main goal is to distribute as many guns as yeah. he can. <laughs> and I was I was just going to say, um, just sort of following up on your um, on your bit about um, you know how um, how you need a different lens to understand it. I think you know India is a huge country, over a billion people, and there are a lot of different languages and a lot of different cultures within that. Right. So the end result is, I think you're producing films that are really going to be very broadcast, very wide appeal. Um, and technically, I think there's a lot of dubbing in here, and it's probably because they know that they're going to have to dub it into a bunch of different languages. So yeah, I think all the dialogue is post sync, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I, well, I felt like actually the English stuff, when it was specifically a, a one shot of a British actor, that was probably location sound somehow, but everything else. Okay. All right. Um, but yeah, it was all, it was all done that, that way in order to be dubbed later on. And it, and it just shows you that when you've got like a big audience, like, that, I mean, India is more than a country. It's almost like many, many different countries. You've yeah. got to produce things that are going to be entertaining to everybody. And uh, again, there's not a ton of dialogue. There's not a ton of nuance. As I, as you said just a moment ago, and I think I said it at the outset, like I was able to follow this story, even though at a couple of times I was confused about characters merely because it's a very straightforward story. It's it's well written for what yeah. it wants to do and uh, it, it's easy to follow. And again, that's probably an advantage if you're making a film, not for, you know, a couple hundred million people, but possibly, you know, six billion people. So <laughs> uh, I don't know how well it's going to do like worldwide, but obviously it's going to do very well um, in India and probably on the international then, audience. And there is, there is an, you know, an Indian diaspora around the world, isn't it? That there will be, you know, a large contingent of uh, Indian oh, yeah, Americans, North Americans for sure, you know, who will, yeah, who will queue up to see this movie. So yeah, I, I don't know. It has, it has an audience. It has an audience. Oh, for sure. It's a big audience. When, when you and I were at film school, one of the things that um, people used to say was, um, when you're pitching a movie, uh, try to think what what's going on the poster. Yeah. Think you know what what would you put on the poster, yeah. and then that's you know that 
then it's going to become your pitch for how you how you explain what the movie is to somebody in 10 seconds. And I think I feel with this movie, um, yeah, maybe with the other movies recently, we've kind of moved into a slightly different area now where the question you need to ask is not what's on the poster. The question is, what is the gif that people will make from this movie to distribute around uh, around social media? Will it gif? I think it's going to be you know, the, the question that people will ask. And my God, there's a lot of there's gifts a lot of in gifts. this movie. Oh my God, that trailer was, I, I was trying to, you know, watch the trailer and I probably shouldn't have. I probably should have watched the film first, but just seeing the trailer, trying to figure out how much are they going to actually jam into this film? Like how can all of that that was in three minutes even fit into three hours? So it will be gift to hell and back, I'm sure. Um, there's plenty of material there. Plenty, plenty. What is, what's the time limit for a GIF? Can you make a three-hour <laughs> GIF, do you think? <laughs> right, OK, let, well, let's, let's take a break. Yeah, let's take the break. Um, and then we will come back and talk about 1939's RRR, uh, which is uh, Gunga Dean. Let's come back and talk about that. See you in a minute. <laughs> Jimmy, yeah. you may not know this, but I happen to have mild sleep apnea. No, really? Yeah. Guess how many okay. times I wake up per hour due to halted or interrupted breathing? Per hour? Per hour. Is, is, this, is this at night or is this during the day as well when you're the, at work? This is... <laughs> no, my students wake me up when I fall, <laughs> we could fall asleep at school. But um, No, this is mild. This is a case of mild sleep apnea. I'm going to guess... Four. Ooh. Multiply by three. No. Twelve times per Whoa. hour. Yeah. So you, so you sleep for like five minutes. Yes. Yeah. Oof. So that means that before I sought treatment, I would wake up yeah, once every five minutes, probably a hundred times per night. So now you, I understand why you're so tired. Well, hang on. <laughs> As you can imagine, sleep was not restful for me. I was even scared to go to sleep, not knowing oh, whether man. or not I'd ever wake up again. You don't want to end up oh, in man. the big sleep accidentally. Oh, man, yeah. That was my case until my sleep therapist, who I never actually talked to or met in person or on okay. screen. Is okay. it modern Americans just great, isn't it? Medicine <laughs> here is terrible. Um, this person, he, she, they, I don't even know what it was, prescribed sleep therapy with the Dream Station 2. A continuous <laughs> positive airway pressure machine, or CPAP, from our friends and would-be sponsors at Philips Electronics. Oh, our would-be sponsors. Yes. Immediately after using the Dream Station 2, I noticed I was sleeping better and e even needed fewer hours of sleep than before. Better yet, I really did feel I was stationed in dreams, having more vivid dreams and occasionally even more terrifying nightmares than ever before. Due so to spending, wait a second, is that, yeah. is that a feature or is that a bug? That, that's, that's a feature. That's a feature, okay. Yeah, yeah, because you're sleeping so well. You're in uh -huh. uninterrupted sleep, uh, stages of sleep um, for longer. Um, the dream station stirred deeply repressed failures, regrets, and embarrassments dating to my childhood years and all the way to the past few weeks. But I had more energy, could exercise more, and friends and family even commented on how well-rested I looked despite... <laughs> Waking every morning with these gill-like impressions on my nose and throat from wearing uh, the, the Dream Station's comfortable neoprene headgear strapping all night long. It does sort of imprint the shape of the machine on your face, but that's okay. Is it, is it seriously called the Dream Station? Yeah, Dream Station 2. Dream Station 2. So, so why, why have they named it after a gaming console? Is that what? Oh, what, oh like PlayStation? That's what it sounds like. Oh, they are not playing games. These guys are serious about ensuring that I have better sleep. Oh, good for them. I've experienced uh, enhanced nocturnal erections. And uh, other organs seemed uh, seemed super inflated as well. And that stands to reason. With the Dream Station 2, I'm being continuously inflated by between 10 and 14 pounds of air pressure per square inch via the flexible and sound-deafening tubing. Uh, I need to know where I can buy one of these products ooh. today. Well, that sort of brings me to my next bit. Um, sadly, about one year ago, Philips notified me that the Dream Station 2 
may or may not have been off-gassing carcinogenic fumes. What? Yeah, the five oh years. Oh my God, what? Yeah, five years. I was breathing through it eight hours a night, 365 nights per year. And furthermore, due to supply chain problems, no replacement devices have been available. So now I've been breathing, or not breathing, carcinogens for six years. Oof. Yeah. I did have a piece of crap device from another company for a few nights, but it sounded like I was driving a Fiat through the Dolomites, so I went back to the loving tubes <laughs> of Dream Station 2, carcinogens and all. Yeah, I'm not sure we do want to be sponsored by these guys, do we? Well, here's the good news. All this is to say that Philips Dream Station 3, I hope you are soon available in helping me to avoid heart attacks, <laughs> suffocation, and premature death via a non-carcinogenic, non-off-gassing delivery system while providing me with the dreams and great sleep I've grown accustomed to. So Philips, feel free to prioritize a rush order to me in exchange for this free advertising. Here comes the motto, hey. or mottos. Philips Medical Devices. We're on a nocturnal mission to bring you better sleep outcomes. Or, as I like to say, Phillips, better living or perhaps slower, unnoticeable dying through modern <laughs> electronics technology. <laughs> oh, man, if they haven't paid you for that slogan, yeah. Yeah, you, you need to phone your lawyer. That is such a great slogan. That should be seen on every Phillips product. Well, maybe they'll pick it up. And welcome back. Uh, and uh, after the break, so now here we are. We're going to talk about Gunga Dean from 1939, George Stevens' picture. Uh, probably better known as the director of Giant, Shane, uh, the greatest story ever told, sort of big, sort of early mid-period Hollywood director. Um, and uh, Gunga Dean written by a whole bunch of people. So um, uh, apparently the script written by uh, Joe Sayer, who was a novelist at the time, um, and Fred Goy, uh, who'd previously worked with Hal Roach. And you can see the Hor Laurel and Hardy influence, I think, mm, when yeah. you watch Gunga Dean. Yeah. Um, but from a story by Ben Hecht, um, who is uh, one of the... Um, most notable golden age Hollywood writers. He wrote His Girl Friday, uh, Gone with the Wind, like some of the great Hitchcock pictures like Spellbound and Notorious. And he wrote it with his his um, regular collaborator, Charles MacArthur. And then you were telling me in the break, and I didn't re realize this, but um, also William Faulkner has a writing credit on this movie as well. He does. I don't know what, but he's in there. So, I mean, what an incredible stellar lineup of writers. I feel distinctly insecure um, it's based on a yeah. Rudyard Kipling poem, Blimey, another great writer. When will it stop? Um, and it's uh, uh, a reasonably straightforward black and white tale set in, in uh, northwest India in 1880. So it's another movie about the Raj, like RRR, uh, and uh, in Gungadeen, the thuggy murder cult. Um, in India, they're revolting against British rule. And we have uh, three uh, servicemen uh, in the in the British Army uh, and the Raj forces, uh, Cutter, Ballantyne and McChesney, um, who go to investigate this village, which has been routed by the thuggy cult. So it's Cary Grant um, as Cutter. This is a year oh. before um, his Girl Friday, I think. So very young, sprightly Cary yeah. Grant. Douglas Fairbanks Jr. as Ballantyne, Victor McLagan uh, uh, as McChesney. Um, they turn up to the village um, it all appears to be deserted um, until uh, it's Cary Grant, isn't it? I think who finds a bunch of these um, thuggy cult members hiding out in this little room. Um, and he's this one white guy who walks into a room with like 10 or 12 um, Indian men. And he immediately just says, oh, you're all under the rest, under arrest. Come with me. I you know, at no point does the film imagine that three white men would ever possibly have a problem uh, overcoming yeah. 200, uh, 200 brown people. There's a big old fight, um, quite an entertaining fight. Cary Grant is throwing dynamite here and there at random. A lot of stuff gets blown up. Eventually, they escape by jumping into the river. Um, but Cutter is Cary Grant's character. He wants to go back uh, because Gunga Dean, who is the company's water bearer, has told him 
about a city of gold. Uh, he wants to go back, pick up the gold, go home rich. Um, his superiors don't want him to do that. He's put in the stockade. He breaks out with the help of a, an elephant. Um, and Gunga Dean leads him back to this golden temple. But surprise, surprise, this temple is the temple where the thuggy murder cult hang out. Um, so uh, Cary Grant sends Gunga Dean to go and get help. He's captured. Then uh, Ballantyne and McChesney, they come back to his rescue, but they all get captured. Um, there's a bit of to and froing. Um, there's a fight. Uh, the Brits know that they just have to hold out until the whole garrison will come and rescue them. But it turns out that that is the thuggy cult's uh, motive behind the whole business. They've set up an enormous ambush for the British army. They're waiting to massacre them. Um, it's a big old fight. Um, and at the last minute, at the 11th hour, Gunga Dean, uh, even though he's been injured and he's taken, bay taken a bayonet to the chest, um, but he climbs up step by step to the top of the temple, uh, gets his bugle, sounds the alarm and warns uh, the British forces um, about uh, about the massacre. Uh, so they're able to prepare. Uh, they storm the building. Um, a whole load of people are killed, including Gunga Dean. Um, but uh, eventually the Raj wins. The cult is defeated and Gunga Dean is posthumously awarded the rank of corporal. Um, and, and we get this little sort of uh, fade out image of, of Gunga Dean's ghost beaming down on, on, on Cary Grant, saluting as he wears his British Army uniform. Um, William Goldman, uh, famously in both yeah. of his books about screenwriting, um, calls Gunga Dean uh, the greatest adventure film ever made. He says, I've seen it 16 times and I cry every time. Um, but I think uh, William Goldman was about eight or nine when Gunga Dean was released. Uh, now it's 80 years later. Does Gunga Dean still play today? What did you think? Had you seen it before? I had, yeah, on VHS. Whoa! Barred it on a videotape. We were talking about tape earlier. Videotape. Mm. I saw it on tape. Um, yeah, from the library probably 20 years ago or something like that. I think I, I think I saw it. Well, yeah, Gunga Dean is Goldman's favorite film, and I was reading his book, uh, Adventures in the Screen Trade for a Class, and right. uh, I decided I could, if I could get it at the library, I would watch it, and I did. Um, and I, I, most of what I remember was the ending. Um, I don't remember first hour and a half very well at all. <laughs> um, right. Does it hold up? I, I, I don't think so. But I mean, the thing is, is that it engendered. You can't have uh, Indiana Jones, I don't think, without Gunga Dean. Oh. All these like action adventures and sort of it's it's a bit more of a caper film than your average American adventure film, but. Um, I think it definitely um, put down the gauntlet for all these films to follow. I, I was surprised. I had never seen it. And I was yeah. very surprised to see how much Indiana Jones of the Temple of Doom is almost yeah. a remake of this film, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it really anyway, is. They have the, the rickety bridge and they yeah. have the temple and they have the cult. And there are so many elements from this film that have been recycled snakes. into the Temple of Doom. They have the snakes, the snakes too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. All those ingredients just yeah. lifted straight out of Gunga Dean. I, you know, like any sensible person, absolutely adore Indiana Jones. But it's fascinating to see, you know, the 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 the, um, the source from which it sprang. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I think the most memorable bit of the film is this climactic climb yeah. of Gunga Dean. You know, to save the day. You know, it's very exciting. It happens so slowly. You can see how injured he is. He's mm -hmm. kind of slowly staggering up the side of the. The, uh, the the temple, you know, and you you know that he's a sitting duck up there, and yeah. it's a, you know it's a proper tragedy, and um, you know that is the most most memorable part. It, I think the film does demonstrate some of the drawbacks of making a film out of a short extract from a poem. Um, it reminded me a little bit of Where the Wild Things Are. Have mm, you seen that? Which yes. is um, the Spike Jones adaptation of a children's book that was out a few years ago. Um, uh, and, you know, the children's book, it has like 11 pages or something and you know, only one line uh, of actual words you know, on each page is very, very little to the book. Yeah. The book is wonderful. It's, you know, it's, it's a joyous, you know, a very enjoyable book for sort of seven to eight year olds. Um, but trying to stretch it out to a feature length film, um, you know, you simply cannot squeeze enough out to make the material yeah. run that far. And Gunga Dean felt to me a little bit like that. Um, 
you do have the elements of the the caper, the sort of the three kings type story of going out to find the gold, and um, you know, and, and there are some you know proper scenes of threat with with these um, the murder cult uh, going through their rituals in this sort of candlelit temple, but there's there's quite a lot of strange buffoonery and clowning around, which I think kind of doesn't really fit in with the tone of the rest of the film. There's this great long sort of weird sequence with the elephant where you know, they give the elephant some sort of elephant medicine and the mm-hmm. elephant seems to fall over and then the elephant recall, recovers. And then it, there's um, this kind of big scene where, you know, Cary Grant tries to sabotage this sort of uh, this wedding celebration party. Uh, all sorts of kind of um, peculiar things happen, which sort of feel like maybe they were dreamt up to stretch the film out to two hours. Yeah, I, no, I agree with you entirely. Um, and some of that is sort of the setup and payoff stuff that I think I mentioned a little bit earlier. Um, like there's, there are a couple of sections of this film where they're, where Ballantyne's trying to get out of the army and he's trying to get married and there's a long, you know, it takes five or six minutes to set that up. Um, with, uh, is it Joan Fontaine who's in this film? She's kind of been briefly, she doesn't have a whole lot to do, but introduces a whole character and it does feel like they're just bulking it out. And then. The elephant scene in particular, there's this long setup about the elephant medicine, and then Cary Grant is going to spike the punch with the elephant medicine to take out the potential um, replacement for Valentine so that Douglas Fairbanks right, has to yeah. stay in the film. Um, there, There's a lot of attention to setups and payoffs that really aren't that, um, they're not that interesting, I guess. <laughs> and, you know, I, you know, before I was saying, okay, well, there's these lions and tigers and elk jump out of in this one scene of, of RRR, and there's no setup whatsoever. They're just paying off. And, after listening to you talk a little bit about sort of the the, the magical realism of things that maybe those characters those, those animals are sort of like uh, representations of other characters or gods right. or whatnot, it makes a bit more sense. But the two films totally contrast in that sense, in that there's really there's no wasted time. Even though it's a three hour five minute film in RRR, there's very little wasted time. They're doing something interesting visually or with song or dance, um, without spending too much time on setups. Whereas this film does feel like there's there's setups in there that aren't really necessary. They don't, they're not, they're not that comic. And this is supposed to be kind of a goofball. There's a goofball undertone to this film, I guess. Yeah. That I think, and that's probably one of the reasons it doesn't, um, it doesn't stand up as well. It's because the, the comedy just has changed in, in 80 years. And when I saw this film, I was really thinking, this feels like, like an American, this feels like a Cowboys and Indians film, which is what it exactly yeah. is. Basically it, it felt like an American West kind of epic um, and it was shot in California. I mean, it was all they, shot in yeah, California. Shooting yes. in California. Um, so it's it's just a different. So it's, we were talking about lens earlier. You have to look at this film, I think, a little bit with this this Hollywood lens. Even though they're telling this bit of British and Indian history, they're shooting it in California. Cary Grant's an American practically by this point. Um, Vic, Victor McLaughlin's also been in John Wayne. You know, with John Wayne and in some of the John Ford films and. By this time, so it's it's starting to feel like a, a Hollywood version of it, and um, <laughs> it's funny how it all, you know, it's all kind of impressive, but it doesn't all quite stick together because I didn't laugh out loud too much, and uh, and and that you know the 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 violent scenes, all the fight, there's a lot of fighting in this film. Um, I don't know if they were supposed to be funny or not. I couldn't figure that out because <laughs> no, a lot of people kind of almost hilarious. die but don't die. Gunga Dean kind of dies, but then he's around for a few more minutes before he really dies. And Cary Grant, you think, oh, he's a goner at one point, um, and he's fine. So it's yes, kind of exactly he's fine. Yeah. It, whereas in RRR, there's like a lot of very very graphic violence and people are dying all over the place. There's a similar amount of fighting in this film, but. Um, uh, very few like proper deaths. I think. I mean, they're just well, kind of brown. Brown people are allowed to die. Brown so people do so die. Yeah. yeah, dozens of brown people who are sort of blown up or yeah, or so killed. I, I, it, yeah, I did end up being like a cowboy Indian, Indian film, which I'd grown up with. You know, I saw this on you know black and white television growing up all the time. So it, it started to feel that way. So that might be the right lens to look at this film. It certainly has this this kind of air of kind of unswerving British superiority, doesn't it? Yeah. That you know the, the the Indian characters aren't you know no threat to our three white British soldiers. No, yeah, that they, it's, it's like inconceivable that they could be a threat. That you yeah. know, Cary Grant feels you know entirely confident. Yeah, saying to a room of twelve men, "You're all under arrest. Come with me." Yeah. Um. Uh. And uh, the same with the kind of the sort of the cultural superiority as well. When Cary Grant sees this temple covered with gold, he yeah. just sees 
a pile of gold and not a temple. Yeah. Um, you know, there is no acknowledgement that, uh, that there may be Indian culture. It's just, you know, a big pot of money to be raided. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, and the film certainly makes no, no uh, judgment, doesn't you know, ask you to make any judgment of that. It's just, it's, you know, it treats finding the temple the same way that it would treat finding a suitcase of money at the side of the road. Um, it's, I, you know, with, yeah. with less respect even than that, isn't it? Yeah, at least yeah. for the suitcase of money, you would think, well, I wonder if somebody's dropped this suitcase for his... No, this is just um, you know, it's like a banking error in your favour and suddenly you have a huge amount of money. Yeah. And did, not considering that they may be victims of this crime or indeed that it's a crime at all. Did you think of the film Three Kings at any, at any moment during this one? I did, yeah. absolutely. It really reminds me of Th- Three Kings, which I presume yeah, clearly has stolen its story from this movie as well. This, yeah. this is the er uh, movie for a, a lot of these yeah. <laughs> um, more recent kind of action caper films yeah. that uh, that I was unaware of its kind of its uh, their origins. Yeah, um, it's it's interesting to me that it's it's named Gunga Dean because he's really uh, he, he's a minor character and he's you know he's definitely looked down upon and I guess he he rises to, at the end with this one massive gesture and his you know his story arc is kind of interesting and he grows but um, I, I just wonder and, if and there's he's, another he's, he's played by him. Sam Jaffe isn't he uh, yeah. who's like yeah American Jewish actor yeah. And I presume, in fact, that you know very many of the the um, Indian characters were just um, you know Californians in body makeup. Absolutely, yeah. And I think, regrettably, um, you know, the Brits are in field helmets, and uniforms, and all that. The, the 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 Indians are generally in just cloth. I mean, and at times <laughs> yes. bordering on diapers. I mean, it's just yes, exactly. it's humiliating. <laughs> just you know, walking around in their underpants. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I did, did watch. I watched the first half of the film with the whole family, and then everybody gave up on it at the midway point. And I was the only one who watched the final half. And the final half is certainly much better than the first it half. It is. It is. Yeah. It's the um, I although I don't, my children haven't seen Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, oh. and so they wouldn't be able to get you know the joy that I got from recognizing those little um, yeah uh, references. Yeah, references. Um, um, now, did, did you say? The name of the 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 rebels were the t- he says tugs a lot in the film. They said tugs. I thought it was the thuggy cult. Thuggy um, cult. When I looked it up, it was T H U double G double E. Okay, thuggy. But maybe I don't know whether the H is silent and it's tuggy. And then they again. This one had an interesting uh, disclaimer at the beginning too about um, that the these are, they're following the goddess Kali. I believe they're all followers and, of the and Yeah, exactly. Um, and that, that part is true. That part like is that true. Yeah. So there's, you know, in the, in RRR, they're saying, look, none of this really happened. Um, and it couldn't have. And then in this film, I think stuff could have happened. And they're saying, well, yes, yeah, it's, it's based on fact. Like this is what the Cali <laughs> followers were like or something like that. Um, sort of gave a permission structure, I think, to put them, dress them the way they do in the film and then kick, kick their asses throughout. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's all right. It's, yeah. It's all right to massacre them. Because they're bad. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. So yeah, I found this film you know, a little bit difficult to watch. And uh, I was you know, surprised that it wasn't more engaging, given that it's um, yeah. so influential. And, and you know, I, like you, have read those Goldman books and um, was kind of looking forward to seeing what he's hyped up as the yeah. greatest adventure film of all time. Um, but I would, it, I would interject yeah. just that he saw this about the same, you're right, eight or nine years old is what I calculated. He saw this about the same time I saw Star Wars. So I'm thinking this is his Star Wars, you know, uh, yeah, which okay. is a film, you know, Star Wars is a classic. I, I like that first one and all that. But, um, you know, I, and I, I sort of a note on Goldman when I was thinking about this is like, you know, he has the benefit of seeing that with those sort of childlike, you know, non-critical eyes. Um, yeah. so the first time I saw this, I was definitely in my thirties and now I'm even older than that. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to fall in love with this film as an adult. And I think, yeah, in this post woke uh, period, especially, it's just, it's hard to really uh, agree with a lot of what's happening. I've seen people asking online after seeing RRR, yeah. asking, oof, were the British really that bad? Um, I don't know whether if there had been a Reddit at the time of Gunga Dean's release, yeah. you know, where people have been asking, Oof, were, were the Indians really that yeah, bad? bad? Yeah. Um, uh, maybe, maybe it is, maybe, uh, yeah, maybe it's a simple, a uh, simple flip. You're going to recommend anyone to go and see Gunga Dean after your, after your original VHS viewing and <laughs> then this, this repeat one now? Only if you've got a VCR and can get it on VHS. <laughs> um, I think it's important to know the, uh, some of the classics, and as you know, we've just pulled two other modern films out of that, out of Gunga Dean. So I, I think 
it's worth it. I, I, I don't think it's a great film. Um, it came out in a year that produced also uh, Stagecoach as well as Wizard of Oz and um, Gone with the Wind. So there were a lot of films that year. So it was, there was obviously a lot going on. Um, and it's a it's a big film for 1939. I was amazed with the you know the exteriors they used in California. Yeah, um, I think the budget was like of the order of two million bucks, wasn't it? I think which is, which is you know it's a fair bit of money. And, yeah, a fair bit of money in 1939. Yeah. So the thing is, that, you know, there's some beautiful visuals in it. It doesn't hold up just on pictures as well as like RRR does. I mean, there's a lot of visual stuff that I can watch and, and be entertained by in, in RRR, but in in Gungadin, I don't think there's that much that's just absolutely riveting visually. So it's not, it doesn't hold up as just film, just as pictures. But um, it's probably worth seeing if you're interested in the classics and seeing William Goldman's favorite film as a kid. Yeah. Um, otherwise, yeah, yeah maybe the, it's it's good to know, yeah, where you came from. But yeah, maybe if you can see the cliff notes, what well, there should be a, if there's a yeah. three minute trailer of Gungadin, watch that. Yeah. That's what I'm going to say. Uh, yeah. I think that's a, that's a pretty good. <laughs> And then go back and watch RRR twice. Yeah, yeah. That's... <laughs> I think that sums it up pretty well. Yeah, yeah. Well, so that, that's been our trip to the Raj. Mm. Um, have we learned something? Well, I think we've learned where Temple of Doom came from. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah and we've learned that if, if you work out hard enough, you can punch a tiger. Yes. So those are my two take-home messages from these <laughs> movies. Okay, this has been uh, the Two Real Cinema Club. Um, we will uh, see you next time. Until then, goodbye and uh, see you next time. Bye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>